try to do something, try to help somebody, and wound up doing anything but helping them. One guy just started at this company, this big company, and he had spent hours filling out his personnel forms. He went into workroom, and there was this huge machine. He was wanting to make copies of them. And he looked at it, and he didn't know where to start, never seen anything that big. Lady walked by, young lady, and he said, hey, how do you work this thing? So she took the papers and put it into the document feeder on that shredding machine and pushed start. And when it was, when it had done all of them very quickly, he said, so where do the copies come out? We do sometimes try to help people and not do it. One guy was uh, sharing how his wife was trying to help him. He said his car wouldn't start. It was an old beat-up VW Beetle. And he left the lights on overnight. The battery was dead. He was in a hurry to get to work, so he asked his wife to come help him push it off. She had this big, old, prehistoric gas guzzler. And he explained to her, now, we've got to get it, because it's got an automatic transmission, we've got to get it going at least 30 miles an hour. So she said, okay, and she got in the car and took off, and he wondered where she went. A couple of minutes later, he looked in his rearview mirror, and there she was barreling down straight for him at 30 miles an hour. Sometimes we all intend to help somebody do something, and it, it just doesn't work. I think the Apostle Paul understood what that was like. When the best of intentions produce some very undesirable outcomes. We're, gonna, we're in uh, the home stretch of our journey through the book of Acts today. We're in Acts chapter 22. Hope you'll turn there in your Bibles. Uh, Last week, we saw how Paul had gone back to Jerusalem to try to bring the followers of Jesus together. He recognized there was potential division at work. And yet, even though he went to try to help that situation, the outcome was anything but helpful. People were so upset, not because of what he did, but because of what they thought he was doing, that it seemed a riot was about to start. So the commander of the troops came and took Paul into custody to avoid the riot. Well, he's about to take Paul off and put him in a, in a cell when Paul asks to speak to the crowd, and he is granted permission to do so. And, and what he says to the crowd isn't some great treatise on Christian apologetics, It isn't some convicting diatribe. What Paul tells them is his story, his God story, how God had been working in his life to bring him where he was. He he starts by giving a little background on himself. In verse 3 of Acts chapter 22, he says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia but brought up in this city under Gamaliel. I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. Paul was born in a city called Tarsus, which was up in the Mediterranean area. I think we've got a map. It's up at the very top of this little picture here, and it's in red. It, was, uh, it still is a significant city in modern-day 
Turkey. And it was a center of commerce. It was a very cosmopolitan city in that day. It was situated right there on the Mediterranean Sea and was sort of a center for for things coming down out of what they called Asia Minor. We would call it Turkey today. And because of that, there was... There was a lot of traffic. People from all kinds of different cultures and languages came through there. So Paul was exposed very early on to that. Not only that, it was an educational center. It it viewed itself as a competitor with Athens and Alexandria. So there was a lot of different philosophies and worldviews that Paul was exposed to there. There were some very significant things in Tarsus that he experienced. But he said he, he, wasn't, he wasn't raised there. He was raised in Jerusalem, in this city, he says. That's where they were. It's because, I don't know why, maybe, maybe his family moved there because they saw within him the potential to be an outstanding rabbi, teacher of the law and, and their, their faith. But they, they moved to Jerusalem, and he was... He was taught by the very best. He said, uh, under Gamaliel. Gamaliel was just, just an amazing teacher. He is still highly regarded by people in the Jewish faith. But for his teaching and his ability to communicate, he was just the best of the best, probably the most respected Jewish rabbi uh, at any time during the, uh, the first century when Paul lived and Jesus lived. Well, Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel. Paul was taught under him, and he learned it well. I mean, I mean, imagine somebody saying, yeah, I studied physics under Albert Einstein, or I studied painting under Michelangelo. That was the significance of Paul saying under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers. <clears throat> uh, as a rabbinic student, he would have studied, he would have memorized large sections of Scripture as a, as a young boy, I mean, 12, 13 years old. And he, he not only was intelli- incredibly intelligent and bright, he was passionate about what he did. He poured himself into it, and he became a rising young star among the, the rabbinic students of that day. He, he acknowledges that when he writes a letter to the churches in Galatia. In Galatians 1.14, he says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the tradition of my fathers. He had pursued all of this with passion. I suspect some of the older people that were there in the crowd in Jerusalem listening to Paul talk would have gone, yeah, I remember this guy. I remember when he was just a, just a, a teenager. And he was a, is a, a rabbinic student. They remembered that. Now, you would think somebody as sharp as Paul with the, with the experiences and the background that Paul had and the training in, in uh, religious ways that Paul had been given, you would think when the Messiah comes along, he would immediately recognized him and wanted to follow him. But he didn't. In fact, it was the opposite of that. Instead of promoting Christianity, he was about persecuting Christians. Instead of embracing Jesus, he wanted to eliminate Jesus and all of his followers. The first time we see him, he's doing exactly that. He's holding the coats. He's giving his approval to the stoning of Stephen, the first one to die 
for his faith in Jesus. The next time we see him, he's not content to just sit there in Jerusalem and do it. He's on his way to another country in another city to arrest people, to persecute people, beat them because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Instead of, instead of doing what we would have hoped he would do, he was doing the opposite of that. He acknowledges that in verse 4. He says, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. And also the high priest and all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. You see, when it came to destroying Christians, Paul's motto was whatever it takes. And he doesn't make that claim lightly. He knows there are people there that remember when he was doing that. They know about all of that. It's a very dark episode in Paul's past. He thought he was doing everything in his power to uphold God's truth, but he was actually doing the very opposite of that. Instead of working for the purposes of God, he's working against them. Instead of attacking Satan's schemes, he's attacking God's people. It's not the last time that happened. (laughs) It happens sometimes in ways we would never expect. According to a news report I read, there were some... uh, police officers in the city of Seattle in July that started shooting at each other. Seems that uh, a police cruiser had been stolen, hijacked by an 18-year-old kid who just wanted to go on a joyride. News was broadcast over the police band, and they picked up on it. And a, a, uh, an officer who was on bicycle patrol in the downtown area heard it and spotted the, the cruiser, spotted the patrol car, and radioed in where it was. Well, one, another car that was right there in the area responding to the call, he saw the car but had to pause to let traffic clear at an intersection, so they lost it. And as they were waiting there, another patrol car with another officer in it saw them, came up behind them and rammed them thinking that was the stolen car. Well, they thought they were being attacked by the kid in the, in the, poli- the stolen police car, so they started shooting. And then he started shooting back. They fired over 20 rounds at each other before they realized what was going on. I don't know that it instilled a lot of confidence among the citizens of Seattle and their boys in blue, but at least nobody was hurt. Cars weren't in really good shape after that. You see, sometimes we, we think... We're being attacked, and we want to fight back. We think we're doing what we've sworn to do, but in reality, we're fighting against people on the same side. That's what happened with Paul. His love for God and his devotion for righteousness was never in question. In fact, It was that intense devotion to standing up for the way of God that the deceiver used to convince him to do the things he was doing against the cause of Christ. Sometimes we can feel passionately about something and we can think that we're doing what we're doing to stand up for what we believe in. And we don't understand that sometimes we're attacking the very thing God wants us to be promoting. 
Paul never questioned what he was doing. He always did it with a clear conscience. He says that in verse 1 of chapter 23. He says, my brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. It wasn't a matter of not being devoted to God. It was a matter of not understanding how what he was doing wasn't supporting God's way. Same thing can happen to us. The deceiver is really good sometimes at getting us to think that we're really standing up for truth. We're really supporting what God wants us to be about when in reality we're doing the opposite. Sometimes we think that we're standing strong on our convictions when the truth is we're just protecting our turf. We just want to keep things the way that we have always known them to be. Paul knew God's word. He cherished God's truth. He never hesitated to stand up for it. That's what he was trying to do all of his life. It wasn't that he was intending to thwart God's plan. It wasn't that he wasn't an intelligent person. It wasn't that he wasn't devoted to God. But when he saw some people going in a direction that he thought, that's that's not like anything I've ever known. That just can't be right. He decided that it had to be wrong and must be stopped. In the process, he found himself working against God's great plan to bring about reconciliation with, with the people. Paul's not the only person to do that. There have been people throughout history that have found themselves in a similar situation, unintentionally being deceived by Satan. I'm one of them. I've been there. My story's not nearly as dramatic or spectacular as the Apostle Paul, but it does have some of the same elements in it. You see, like Paul, I was when I was young, what you might call a Pharisee of Pharisees. I didn't know it. I didn't intend to be. I was just trying to do what I thought God wanted me to do and stand up for truth as I understood it. Like Paul, I came by my views very honestly. I've mentioned before, I was so religious. I was born on Sunday morning. And they announced it before church was over. My mom and dad both came from families that were deep in faith and rich in their heritage among churches of Christ. We were completely devoted to what they had been taught all their lives. And they did a masterful job of imparting that faith to their three boys, of whom I was the youngest. Not only that... They told me, Greg talked about devoting our children to God a couple of weeks ago. They told me that on the night I was conceived, they prayed together that I would be a minister of the gospel, that I would proclaim God's truth to people. And they did everything they knew to instill a deep faith in me and my brothers. 
It must have done something right because we're all three of us are devoted followers of Jesus Christ today. But when it comes to the faith as they understood it, it was primarily about how you do church. The, the main focus, the main emphasis in, in our church, in the home, was making sure we get it right. What, you're, what you could do and what you couldn't do, who could do it and who couldn't do it, how you were supposed to do things and when you were supposed to do things and, 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 and all of that. That was, that was the emphasis. We heard that when we, when we went to church and in worship assemblies, the sermons were focused there. When we went to Bible classes, that was focused there. We had gospel meetings in the spring and in the fall. You remember those days? Some of you, that was the focus. That's what it was about. There was a secondary emphasis on, on how you don't do certain things in the world that, that people there do, people of the world do, which basically meant anybody that wasn't part of our particular group. Never really spent a lot of time focusing on Jesus and whether we were growing to be more like him or not, whether we were actually having our hearts and our minds and our lives transformed more into his image. We just mainly spent our time focused on staying in the lines as we had been told they were supposed to be. Never really did a lot of focus on the things that Jesus spent his time focusing on in life, like healing the sick, caring for the poor and the downtrodden, receiving the outcasts, all those kinds of things. But we sure took seriously those things that someone had decided were really, really the important things, like regular church attendance. You didn't toe the line there long enough, you got on the you got on the church discipline list. Please don't misunderstand. Those people were not bad people. They loved God. They loved me. And they helped instill within me a wonderful love for God and a passion for his kingdom that's a big part of who I am today. And I have a, a tremendous debt of gratitude, gratitude to them. They just had some very interesting and fairly rigid ideas about what that needed to be all about. <clears throat> when I was in the seventh grade, I moved into the uh, preacher boys training class is what it was called on Wednesday night kind of like LTC or lads to leaders or something like that. We would, be, we would be trained what we needed to do. It was all about what you did in worship service. We, we, they taught us how to lead prayers and how to, how to lead singing and how to uh, preach and do all of the things that you did at church. It's good stuff. 
We would spend our Wednesday evenings during the summer going to various congregations in the area and leading a worship service there. I remember those days. When I got in high school, our church had a, a gospel meeting in the summer that they invited teens of our church to speak at. I remember being the first one invited. Remember the first sermon, why I'm a member of the church of Christ. Because that was our focus. That's what we did. By the time I graduated from high school, which was, of course, the local Christian high school, I, uh, I started preaching for little congregations most Sundays. Before long, I had, had a church of my own that I preached at every Sunday. I got to tell you, I today shudder at some of the sermons that I preached. And not just because I was not a very good preacher. I don't know that they were about what Jesus was about. It wasn't just the preaching and teaching. I would have conversations with people who were struggling with life, who were wrestling with issues. And more than once, they left those conversations in tears because it seemed like all I knew what to do, all I knew how to talk about was how you did church. Focus on knowing what was right, doing what was right, teaching what was right. There was virtually no room for differences. Basically, the thought was, if you aren't doing it like us, you just must not be doing what Jesus wants. Some of the less polished among us just came out right right out and said it. You're not us. you're You're not really the true believers. Most of us had a little more class than that. But still... Underneath, that attitude was there. Much like Paul had done in his world dominated by the Pharisees, I was advancing in the faith beyond many of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. I can relate to the Apostle Paul. But I can relate to him in another way as well. I can relate to how much he appreciated the incredible gift of God's love and grace. You see, when you come to realize how far off you have been, how how misguided, not through any bad motive, not through any ill intention, but just how misguided you've been. You have an appreciation for God's loving, merciful forgiveness like you never had before. And I am so incredibly thankful that God didn't just leave me headed down the road that I was on. Now, unlike Paul, I didn't have this dramatic experience 
out on a highway somewhere where this bright blinding light shone down and I heard a voice from heaven. Didn't happen that way with me. But God was faithful. God, over a period of time and using multiple different things, God helped me understand what he was really calling me to be about. Some of it was college courses. Some of it was some wonderful books. Some of it was just personal Bible study and prayer time. Some of it was intense, long conversations with fellow ministers who were wrestling with the same things that I was wrestling with. And God was faithful in all of that to let me begin to look at Scripture and look at his will in a way that wasn't just about towing the party line, but actually trying to take a fresh look at who he is describing Jesus to be here and understanding how we need to be following him, how we need to become be becoming like him. And over time, my my awareness, my, my understanding of how we need to approach and interpret the Bible began to significantly shift from what it had once been. I learned that Jesus was very clear in teaching that even though everything in here may be equally true, it is not all truly equal. And that was exactly his point. When some of those Pharisees that came up to him and ask him, what's the most important thing? What's the greatest commandment in the law? And he answered, Matthew 22 is where it's recorded. Matthew 22 and verse 37. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. He didn't say nothing else matters. It does matter but it's not really the most important thing. He said there's something that's more significant and there are other things that are far less significant and we need to understand that. We need to get a hold of that. When we start treating everything as, it's, as if it is all the same and we start thinking that everybody has to do everything exactly like I've always done it and the way they think, we get into some real trouble. When we start in trying to impose our own interpretations and applications of things, when it's instead of just sticking with what the Word says, we got some problems. It's been a big part of why there's been episodes, experiences where churches in our fellowship have gotten into real difficult times, even split up. Now, don't, let's be fair. We don't have a corner on that market, folks. We don't have a patent on that. There's been people in all kinds of fellowships that have struggled with exactly the same things. But when we start thinking, if it makes sense to me, it's the only way anybody can think or understand or do it, we're headed for a real dark place. Kind of like what Paul was doing before he encountered Jesus on this Damascus road. 
Thanks be to God, he didn't leave him there. He had great plans for Paul. And thankfully, he had other plans for me. You see, God is in the business of taking people who are passionate about him and helping them see the light, helping them break out of those deceptions that the enemy wants to keep us in and understand what he's all about. When we understand what Jesus is about, we understand he's not about attacking people or excluding people or judging people. In fact, the only time Jesus did that that we read about in in the Word is when there were some of those religious types who were supposed to be helping people draw near to God, but instead were creating barriers to keep them away from God. He got pretty upset about that. But for the people who were misguided or disenfranchised or the people who had just blown it with their life, he had incredible gentleness and grace and compassion to offer them. And he calls us to do the same. So what about you? You got any of those dark episodes in your past? Got any of those times in your life that may have been downright ugly like mine? When you look over back your life, are there times when you thought you were doing the right thing, but you you realize maybe that's not what Jesus had in mind? maybe you didn't attack the followers of Jesus, but you sure didn't accept them. Maybe you don't have blood on your hands, but you sure broke some hearts and in the process disappointed our Father. The wonderful thing about God is that he is in the business of redemption of taking lives that are broken from any kind of sin and putting them back together again. Like he did with Paul, God can take your life, however messy it got, whatever kind of struggles there have been, and put it back together. And he can use whatever those experiences were to ultimately bring glory to his name. You see, the reason Paul was so clear in writing about the grace of Jesus Christ is because he had personally experienced it in a breathtakingly wonderful way. And he wrote in a way that helps us understand we are forgiven, not by what Paul did, but we understand that because of what he wrote about what Jesus did. And it came out of his own experience. And God wants to do the same thing in my life and in your life today. What about those dark times in your life? Those times when you may not have been interested in God, certainly weren't working for God. But you need to understand is that what God did through them, he's doing through us today. He can take any old Pharisee 
and turn him into a child of the king. And he wants to do that with you. And let me tell you, when you experience that, it's the most incredible thing beyond anything that you can imagine. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so 